the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your week went well, and I think listening to this show is a great way to start the next week. So I I kind of had this epiphany that I was thinking about, uh, just about the way, you know, our culture is going. And we talked some about this last week, that we're kind of acting like uh, very young people. And one of the things that I know that hardship does is it either hardens people unnecessarily or it helps them really grow up and become really healthy, well-rounded people that are able to endure lots of hardship, and do it in a healthy manner. And so I thought today maybe I would talk about these three different things that God has given us in terms of how to guide us. And he gave us certainly the the Ten Commandments, and then we have lots of talk about the seven deadly sins, and then we actually have one verse that is truly a life edict. So we have Ten Commandments, We've got identification of seven sins that are deadly, deadly to our, to our being. And then we have one edict that kind of encapsulates, encompasses all of that. So this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11, it says, When I was a child, my speech, feelings, and thinking were those of a child. Now that I'm an adult... I have no more use for childish ways. Now, that doesn't mean that all of us, you know, you've heard me speak about an inner child frequently. But what this verse is really saying is that I don't use childish ways to fix my life. 
I don't do childish things as a way to get what I want in life. And so when we look at this idea of guidance, that one of the things that we do with children is we are really, really commanded by God to be guiding these little ones. And so if you didn't get appropriate guidance growing up, you want to say to yourself, well, then I'm, I'm going to have God. He is my father. He will guide me if I ask. If I ask him, he'll guide me. And so guidance is this process of helping an individual through their own efforts to develop and discover their potentialities for personal happiness and social usefulness. And I like that quote. That's by Ben Monero. And I like the idea of the way that he kind of did this. He said, you know, it's through individual efforts to develop and discover their potentialities for personal happiness and social usefulness. That's important. So Crow and Crow, they say it like this. They say guidance is not giving directions. It's not the imposition of one person's point of view or even putting it and putting it on another person. It's not making decisions for an individual, which he should make for himself. It's not carrying the burden for another's life. Rather, guidance is assistance made available by personally qualified and adequately trained men or women to an individual of any age to help him manage his own life, his development, his activities, his own point of view, and make these decisions and carry out their own burden. Now, that's important. That, that's, what, that's what guidance is about. It's not imposing something on somebody. It's simply saying, hey, if you want um, a map of how to get to where you want to go, if you want a user's manual, here you go. And so another person, Arthur Jones, he says it this way. He says, guidance is the help given by one person to another in making choices and adjustments and in solving problems. Guidance aims at waiting the recipient, wanting the recipient to grow in his independence and ability to be responsible for the him or herself. It's a service that's universal and not confined just to school or family or church. It's found in all phases of life, home, business, industry, government, social life, in hospitals and prisons, and it's present where there are people who need help and wherever they, those people are that are desiring help and if the people that are there can give them the help, have the ability to appropriately guide them. So I, I, I want to, this is going to kind of seem like a jump, but I looked at the verse for the day. And I thought it was a really beautiful verse, and it's Ephesians 4.15. And it says, instead, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly, and each part in its own special way, helps the other parts so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So I thought, wow, God, I, you know, I'm writing this show this morning, <clears throat> and here's the verse for the day. 
talking about truth, of finding our way, of being told the truth so that we can certainly be free and be all that God has intended for us to be. So this, this next verse, this is Matthew eighteen six, And it kind of dovetails off the first verse we talked about when it says, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. I was childish. But when I grew up, I put away those childish behaviors. And Matthew eighteen six, it says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is how seriously God takes guidance. The people that are in a dependent position with us, and that doesn't always mean just little children. It means if you're a boss, if you're an owner of a business, and people are working for you, then they are depending on certain things from you. And God is saying, hey, listen, this is also about the little one inside of you that goes back to heaven, that goes to live with God. The little kid that God loves. He says, if you cause that part of you to stumble, if you cause a part of you, a younger part of you, a more vulnerable part of you to lose faith in God, it would be better if you had a millstone hung around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So that's pretty serious, wouldn't you say? So as we look at these three different directives. We have the Ten Commandments. We have all the research on the seven deadly sins. And then we have the parting verse that God gave us that encompasses everything. So let's look at this. We have the Ten Commandments, and I'm not going to go into detail about the Ten Commandments. But each sentence, each each command will bring life and will bring health to your being. So the first one is, he says, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. <clears throat> well, you know, I think that is kind of speaks for itself. But sometimes we don't realize when we're making something a god. And when we make something a god, we have to realize that we're now serving it. Because that's what gods require, service. So if my god is... I don't know, my appearance, then I'm now serving my appearance. I'm living for my appearance. That means I worry about my weight, the clothes, jewelry, cars, whatever that may be. If, if you're a guy, you worry about how muscular you are, right? How tall you are, how virile you are, how powerful you are, whatever that may be. See, if that's our God, that if I'm this <clears throat> excuse, perfect, perfect person that I think that I need to achieve and, and that I can possibly be, and then my life will go really well for me. And so what, what God is saying is you, you, you better not have another God other than me. Any other God that you serve will take advantage of you. They will use you to get their needs met. And God is the only one that actually wants, <clears throat> excuse me, actually wants to make our lives better. That his life is working. Everything he's got going is working for him. So his intent with being God of our life is to actually bring some of his wonderful life 
into our life. That's the whole point of it. It's not to lord over us. He can do that at any time he wants. What does that get him? More power? More glory? He wants relationship. He wants friends. He wants family. So this is where we can say to God, I don't want there to be any other God other than you. Because you are the only God who won't exploit me. You're the only God who won't take advantage of me. You're the only God who has everything he could possibly want and need and actually wants me. Wants relationship with me. As messed up as I am, God says, you know the one thing missing? Man, I need to have a relationship with Cynthia. That, that's phenomenal to me. That he could have a relationship with every single person on the planet and still miss me if I was the one that said no. If I said no to God, he would notice. So this goes into the next one that says you shall not worship false gods. Well, those things that I you know, brought up in the very beginning here of this list, these are all false gods. They appear to be powerful. They appear to have something that we can't achieve. And they're false. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about these commandments, these edicts that God has given us. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me, and make sure that you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and all the social media that we have for you on Facebook. And certainly, I love it when you visit the website and let me know. So you can always get a hold of me through the website if you have any ideas for a guest that you might like me to have on the show or any kind of topic that you want me to do. So we are talking about this idea about directives, what God has done, what God has given us. He's given us the Ten Commandments, the seven deadly sins, and then this last one was was the parting words of Christ, and that's just this one edict that encompasses all the others. So we talked in that last segment a lot about guidance and what guidance is about and what it does. And so this is kind of like a user's manual. When God gives us the Ten Commandments and warns of us of the te- seven deadly sins, eight deadly sins, and then gives us this parting edict from Christ about how to live, this is all about guidance. This is him saying, I really want your life to work. I don't want you to be a wanderer. I don't want you to get lost. I don't want you to get beat up all along the way and miss out on the amazing life that I've planned for you. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, we talked about, you know, you shall have no other God before you and what false gods are like, and they are quite enticing. And he says, you shall not worship false gods. See, when we worship something, we're hoping that in our worship, a little bit will rub off on us or that we'll get something in return for it. And we're worshiping this dream, this, this idea, this event, or this, uh, the way we look, or the things we own, as something that is going to bring us the happiness and the peace that we desire. So what God is saying is don't do that. Don't worship a God that can't perform. You're worshiping something that can't do what it's purporting to do. It's saying that it can do it, it can't do it. I'm the only one that can truly give you life everlasting 
love, peace, joy, security, all those things, everlasting life in heaven. I'm the only God that can make that happen for you. So then he says, you shall never take my name in vain. Now, what does that mean? Here's the simplest, you know, simplest explanation. You take the Lord's name in vain. That's like somebody saying that now Cynthia has become a swear word. So every time something bad happens, they say my name. Every time they're mad at somebody, they use my name to harm them. That's what, that's what taking the name in vain, that's a simplest version of it. Now, it's quite complicated in some ways. But when you defame God, when you use his name inappropriately, it's painful for him. It's kind of like if people say, oh, well, that's a Cynthia, yeah. Now, I, I, have, I have groups of people and friends and, and places in the world that use my name as a way to describe something. I get that because maybe they experienced it with me and so they say that's a Cynthianism or that's a Cynthia or I'm going to go do a have a Cynthia or something. Like that's how they're going to come to my office and have a time with me. Well, that's not using my name in vain. It's using my name as a way to describe something. But it's not derogatory, okay? So this is where you want to say, God is saying, please don't use my name to describe something that is not truly about me, that isn't me, that has nothing to do with me. And that's why it's so important when you're working on relationships that we're careful about those things. So then he says, you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, let's make that in, in current times. A lot of what that means is, hey, I want to spend some time with you. I know you're busy during the week, so I'd like to spend some time with you. I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to interact with you. I'd like to hang out with you. So when we're keeping it holy, we're saying that we're keeping it specifically for God. The same way as if you say to one of your friends, hey, I'm going to commit this entire day to you. It's whatever you want to do. I want to be with you. How do you feel when someone says that to you? I'm committing the entire day to you. I want to know what's going on with you. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to know what you want, what you need. I want you to know how I'm feeling, what I'm doing. This is what God is saying when he gives us that commandment. He's wanting us to rest and rest in him and become so much more energized for the following week so that we are not then susceptible to false gods that want to steal our time and energy. Then it says, honor your father and mother, okay? This doesn't mean like them. This doesn't mean emulating them. This doesn't mean bragging about them, wanting to be like them, spending an inordinate amount of time with them. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that you honor the humans that brought you into the world. Now, you can't be brought into the world if God didn't create you in your mother's womb. But it's honoring the people that made it possible for me to be here. And so if my parents didn't do what they did and my mother went forward with her pregnancy, if she didn't do that, then I wouldn't be here. So when I'm honoring that, I'm not necessarily honoring their lives. I'm not saying I want to be like them. Maybe I do. I'm not saying I want to copy them. I'm not revering them as if they are an an entity like the one true God. I'm simply saying, you know what? I, I can be polite. I can be kind. I can be decent. 
They're just humans. They brought me into the world. I can honor that. I can honor them by the way that I live, even if I don't think they deserve it. My life will go better for me if I'm honoring those humans with my life and that I'm not being a regret for them. So this is important to think about that. And I'm not saying a regret in terms of they don't love you. I'm saying that our lives, when you share the same name with someone, right, that means that people will attribute things to those people based on your name. And so this is why we want people, hey, we say to them, hey, can you just make me look good or something? Like, don't make me look bad. This is some of what God is saying. Don't, don't make me look bad. Okay, don't make your parents look bad. It doesn't help you. And then he goes on to say, you shall not murder. Now, that's self-explanatory. That also means you. Don't murder yourself. Don't murder yourself, certainly by suicide, but don't murder yourself with incessant, horrible, negative thoughts. And stay committed to the people that you publicly said you will commit to. Don't be adulterous. And don't go to such a low base level and steal. That means that you go to God and you say, I'm tempted to steal because I want it so badly. So God, help me be patient. Help me trust you so that I don't succumb to that easy route that ends up highly complicating my life, my heart, my mind. Don't steal. You never feel good about it. It never works. You never feel honest. You never can truly say it's yours. So these are really helpful when God says, hey, I'm just going to give you, this is a user's manual. You do these things and your life is going to work way better than if you are the one trying to decide how to do your life. I'm giving you the owner's manual. Follow it and follow it hard. This is Cynthia Hyatt. Join me in the next segment as we talk about, wow, those uh, seven deadly sins. What are those? Welcome back. You're listening to Cynthia Hyatt. I'm your host today. And you're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me. I hope that your week went well and that this is helping to set you up for a much better, kinder, more productive, successful week. So we spent the last half hour talking about the Ten Commandments. And we also talked about how that is a user's manual. And that's one of the things that God has given us in order to make sure that our lives work, at, 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 at least at the best that they can be. And so the, we also talked about this really important verse in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, that says, If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So that means do no harm. That's what that means. Like if you can't do anything nice, don't do anything at all. Just don't cause a little one, which is all of us. We are all little in some form or another inside of ourselves. 
don't cause one of us to stumble, to lose belief or faith in God. Because what God is saying is, man, what you're going to encounter with me if you mess with one of my little ones, think about you and your pets or your kids. Someone messes with your kiddo. Someone messes with your pet. Wow, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Well, think about that when it comes to the God of the universe feeling like that about you. Someone messes with you. It's not going to go well for them. So God is also saying to you, don't mess with the people I love. It's not going to go well with you. So this is important when we think about living a life and how we want to live that life, why God would give us these helps, these props, okay? So when we look at the seven deadly sins, this, uh, this was really has been more linked to the works of the fourth century monk, Ponticus. And he listed eight, what he said was evil thoughts in Greek. Now we also have Dante, who came up with the historical modern definition of the seven deadly sins. And they were translated into the Latin um, of Western Christianity, largely in the writings of John Cassian. So these evil thoughts, these evil behaviors, when it said, hey, listen, if you do the Ten Commandments, your life is going to work. But let me tell you something. Now I'm going to tell you the things that you want to do that are going to kill you. Now, it may not physically kill you immediately, but it's going to kill your life. It's going to kill any hopes for a great life of meaning and purpose and having a positive effect on the world that you're in. So the first one we have is gluttony. Now, gluttony is usually seen as food, but actually gluttony is more indulgence. It's overly indulging in something. And so it's one of these things where a little is good, more is better, right? And we all have that to some degree. So what, what, these, these, you know, what these gentlemen are talking about, what God is wanting us to understand, is these things are very compelling, and they're coming from, you know, the pits of hell. That's where they came from. And they're very enticing, and they're very tempting, and they never truly pay what they say they're going to give you. They never really pan out. So this is important when you are thinking about what's going on with me that I'm wanting to indulge in gluttony. I'm wanting to drink more than I should, sleep more than I should, gossip more than I should, eat more than I should, lay around, spend more money than I should, what, look at things I shouldn't be looking at. Why am I wanting to indulge? What's the indulgence going on inside of me? And usually, you can trace it back to pain. So indulgence is a huge pain reliever. It's just that the problem is, it doesn't relieve pain unless it's momentary. It causes more pain, especially if it becomes a habit or an addiction. So we have to be really careful about this idea of gluttony. Because once we open that door, we're going to want to indulge in even more things. prostitution, fornication, pornography. That's the next one that we have to be really careful about. So this is Cynthia Hyatt.
Conversations with Cynthia. And we have more to come when we talk more about these seven deadlies. So we have gluttony, fornication, we have greed, sadness, we're going to talk about that, wrath, and we're also going to talk about boasting and then pride. So these things really are going to mess up your life. These things are going to lead you in a completely opposite direction and steal your identity from you and cause you to doubt everything about yourself and who you are, which will then cause you to want to indulge more. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about seven deadly sins. Welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and thank you so much for joining me today. And I have to tell you, I just told a joke to my two producers, and they laughed really hard. So I love telling jokes. I'm not going to tell you the joke I told them, but I am going to bring you one next week. So here we are. We are back to this whole idea of the seven deadly sins. And we talked about gluttony, fornication, lust, greed, despair. Now, Why would despair or sorrow or despondency be a deadly sin? And one of the things I want you to think about when it comes to a lifestyle, when it comes to our own emotional health, taking care of our emotional realm, one of the things that we can have a tendency to do is to really commiserate, fall into this complete pit of despondency, of sadness, depression, sorrow, despair. And no matter what anyone tells us that tries to get us out of that, we can talk ourselves deeper into it. So this is why God is saying, I'm not telling you to not be sad. I'm saying don't indulge in it. Don't waller in it. Don't start collecting more things in your life, more memories, more events, to really galvanize why you are so despairing. Because this can be addictive in some ways. And I don't mean addictive as a substance can be. I just mean it can be so habitual that we just naturally talk about all the things that aren't working. And we naturally fall into despair. And nothing anybody can do can bring us out of that. Which unfortunately, many times, despairing, sorrow, despondency, leads us into the first deadly sin we talked about, which was gluttony. And that's that overindulgence in anything. So the more despairing we are, the more we justify why we can indulge in canceling our life, canceling appointments, why we can indulge in laying in bed, watching really bad TV, right? Gossiping to people as a way to just maybe have one moment of feeling a little better. So that's why this is an interesting one to think about, because we rarely would think it was a sin. Because this doesn't mean that we're trying to make something good that's not. Okay, that's ridiculous. What it means is that we are saying, Lord, I need to put my hope in you. You won't disappoint me. In you, I won't despair. And that has to be a discipline, because it's not easy to do. But it's a very important for your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, and your spiritual health. 
So what's another one? Number five, wrath. Wrath. Have you ever been with someone wrathful? That has a lot of wrath in them. I mean, it's uncomfortable. It's scary. They want to get back at everybody. They're really locked in that fairness doctrine. And we've talked about that before, that that's wanting everything to be fair. And I say to clients frequently, you know, the fairness doctrine ends at about the age of 12. After that, things are much too complicated to make everything fair. People are too different. People are too unique. Every situation in life is unique, can't be replicated. There's no way that we could fix everything in that way. So what, what happens to us then when we want to make the world perfect? We want to make the world fair. We want to make sure that everybody pays for whatever it is that they did. Well, we're going to go back into sorrow and despair because it's never going to work. It doesn't, I wish it worked. If it worked, God would teach us how to do it. So what happens? We fall into sloth. Now, sloth is a form of despair and wrath. It also can be part of lust. It can also be part of gluttony. See, sloth is that, you know, I just don't care. I'm beyond caring. Uh, It hurts too much to care. So I'm just going to be despondent. I'm going to be despairing. And in my despairing, I'm not going to care. So I don't care if I answer the phone. I don't care if I take a shower. I don't care what you do. I don't care what they think about me. Now, if that were possible, there would be people teaching you how to do that. There would be a class on how to do that if it was possible and if it worked. But it doesn't work. Because what we have to do in order to really not care is add other things such as gluttony, such as lust, fornication, pornography, We have to add these things to assuage our pain. So when you think about sloth and you recognize it, wow, that many times can lead us to pride and hubris, that we think we're better than people now because we don't care. And you can see how this twists around and how this gets so complicated. So what we want to think about is if we're struggling with lust, if that's the vice that we're struggling with, then what's the virtue? Chastity. Painful. So I say to clients oftentimes, listen, if you are overindulgent in sexual pursuits of any kind, whether that be physically with someone, by yourself, through pornography, whatever, through gazing, watching, looking at people in a lustful manner, the way to undo that is simply through chastity. So if you've ever heard anyone that has to go to a sex addiction group, it's chastity. Now, they don't use that word. It's kind of an old-fashioned word. But it's abstinence. I can't do that. I take it too far. I always go too far with it. Is what, what is going on and why you would find yourself at one of these meetings, these organizations. So how about this? What if, what if your vice is gluttony? What if you just have this tendency to overindulge? If a little is good, more is better, right? And so if gluttony is it, then what's the virtue? What do I have to strive for? Temperance or moderation. Now that's tough. Usually what people do if they struggle with gluttonous types of behaviors, they do all or nothing, so they completely abstain. Well, if food is your issue, you can't completely abstain from food or you have another, another problem. You have 
anorexia. So it's very important that when you recognize that, wow, if overindulgence is my problem, temperance is the solution. That means that I am able to stay within the realm of adequacy and that when, I've, when I am somewhat satiated or satisfied, I stop. I'm not just going to continue to chase the feeling. I'm not going to continue to indulge to the point that I've now become so gluttonous I don't have any self-control. So how about if the vice is greed? Well, that's a hard one to admit for lots of people, and I understand why. But the virtue, what we want to do, if we struggle with greediness, which means I want what they have. I want what they have to the point that maybe I want to steal it from them, actually. Or I look on television and I want that lifestyle, even if I find out it's not even true. That's the idea. That's what I want. That's what I deserve. See, greed causes us to be entitled as well. We really actually feel like we deserve it. So greed is one of those things that will lead you into lust and gluttonous behavior because you can't stop. So greed, what's the virtue for greed? What do we need to do to counteract greed? Charity or generosity. See, one of the things I help people with, if they are struggling with this idea of greed, that if a little is good, more is better, I say to them, you know what? I just want you to do something uncomfortable. You don't have to do it all today. We're not fixing it today. I just want you to be generous when you go out to eat. I want you to say, hey, do you want a bite of this dessert? It's really good. Why don't, you, why don't I split it with you and give you half? Now, anyone that struggles with greed knows the feeling when they go, mm, I don't, I don't want to do that. So how about generosity being, you know, hey, I'll drive you to that place. I know that you don't have a car right now. I'll drive you. It'll take time out of my day, but just because you need it, charity, right? Now, we have to remember Pride is one of the other problems. So when we're being charitable and generous, we have to be careful to not become prideful in that charity or generosity. So let's talk about sloth. Well, we did. That's a tough one. It's an ugly one. And the antidote for sloth, for just absolutely shutting down, flatlining, not caring about anything, not taking anything seriously, is diligence. So I'm going to be diligent, maybe about being on time. I'm going to be diligent about taking care of my health. I'm going to be diligent when it comes to being polite. So if wrath is our issue, if we are easily angered and easily offended, guess what the antidote is for that? Well, it's patience. And patience can be tough, especially in today's world when we are so used to things going so quickly that we don't ever have to wait. So if you are wrath, wrathful, if you feel wrathful, if you are easily angered, disgusted, upset with people, upset with yourself, have no patience for mistakes, then the virtue I want you to be really focusing on is patience. I want you to be patient with yourself. Patient with your kids. Patient with the drivers on the road. Patient with the grocery store clerk. Patient with the person that's trying to get out of the parking space that you would like to have. 
I want you to be patient while you're waiting for the doctor, while you're waiting for the phone call to be returned. Patience is a tough one, and the easiest way to start learning patience is simply relax your body. If you relax your body and take a deep breath, it signals to your brain that you don't have to be taught. You don't have to be you don't have to be hardwired. You don't have to be really tense that you can actually just relax and say, I can be patient. It's going to happen. So I can just sit here and do nothing. I can think pleasant thoughts about my family and friends that help me love them better. I can think pleasant thoughts about God. I can pray even for the country, right? So what if envy is the problem? You're jealous, envious. Gratitude and kindness are going to be important for you. Gratitude and kindness. I want you to at least be thankful for 10 things every single day. I want you to look for things to be thankful for. And I want you to look for ways to be kind. Let the person go ahead of you in the, in the grocery store line. Let the person, let the car in ahead of you. Whatever you can do, just simple, small kindnesses. Smile at somebody. Return a phone call on time. These types of things are going to be super important. And pride many times encompasses all of those. Pride loves to take advantage of all the other virtues. So that's humility. And humility is not humiliation. Humility is saying, I know who I am. God knows who I am. There's a lot of good things about me. There's a lot of bad things about me. So I know who I am. And there's a lot of stuff about me that's not that great that I might really need to get a handle on. So this last verse I'm leaving you with, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you will encompass everything that we talked about in the last hour. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Have a great week, and I will talk to you soon. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from our website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be-